Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast on health and wellness. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and this, of course, is the Motivation of Mondays podcast. And in today's episode, we are honored to have Brian Tanzer with us, Director of Scientific and Regulatory Affairs at The Vitamin Shop. And we're going to be talking about sort of uh, his his perspective on health and wellness and where the trends of supplements are, uh, where it's going, and what to avoid. You know, there's a lot of bad misinformation out there. So Brian's really keen on trying to help us avoid that information. Now, with over 25 years of experience in the nutrition and wellness industry, Brian is a seasoned professional in dietary supplements, product science, regulatory affairs, and education. We're happy to have him here today. Brian, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thanks for that wonderful introduction, Corey. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. I mean, hey, that's your your resume. (laughs) And I left some stuff off. Now, um, full transparency, though, for people who don't know, I know Brian personally. And why I have wanted to have him on this show for a long time is because very often the guests I have on the show, I don't know them other than what I read about them in preparing. But Brian, I know for a fact, really is committed to health and wellness and actually helping other people um, achieve optimal health. And I experienced that with you, Brian, when I, I, I talk about this with our fellow employees and we work together, how you literally would change lives. You would inspire people to go to the gym at one point. You know, people were going to the gym with you on lunch breaks, and it just was really interesting. <laughs> and um, and I want you to know that a lot of the fellow coworkers, you know, and I, we still talk about that about you. So that's the impression you left. Mm. So thank you for that, first of all. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. Now, on that same token, I want to ask you though, since I have known you for a while, I never really knew what was the inspiration behind your journey and you being motivated to pursue a career in nutrition and wellness. So mm-hmm. give me a little bit about what inspired that journey for you. Sure. So if you go back in the days, I mean, I was born in 1968. So going through the 70s and 80s as a kid, we were always active, you know, playing sports. And when, we got to, when I became a teenager, my friends and I would go to the gym and work out and we'd end up in the health food store buying the latest protein shakes and supplements and I remember beef liver extract and all the things that were popular back then, right? <laughs> um, so fitness and lifestyle has always been part of, it's always been part of my life. Um, I was a lifeguard growing up. So was my brother. My brother and sister played basketball in high school. Um, so we, we were always athletic and, and everybody, not, it's not like today where kids just are not as active as we were. Um, and then in college, I was studying science, mostly, you know, chemistry, biology, because I was considering going to medical school. Um, I said, before I do that, let let me see what that's really about. You know, you hear things about becoming a doctor and it sounds great, but let me actually get in there and see what that's about. So I volunteered um, at NYU Medical Center in in New York City for about Mm -hmm. two years in in a pediatric ward. Uh, Most of the children that I work with were terminally ill. I got to spend time with the kids, the families, um, talking to doctors, talking to residents who were 
working their way through um, becoming a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like what I heard, you know, their approach to, you know, just treating disease and waiting for people to get sick. Mm. Um, it was just something I didn't believe in. Yeah. Um, and it really turned me off to it, just seeing the dynamic of what happens in a hospital. And I'm not saying that's the only aspect of healthcare, but you really get a good understanding of what it's about. Um, and, and you're just treating symptoms and diseases. Are you really getting people healthy? And like I said, health and wellness and fitness and exercise, nutrition was always part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see that as a great approach. You know, although you can make a lot of money doing it, it wasn't something I was passionate about. Yeah. Nutrition was. And that's when I started looking at graduate schools. Um, I went to Brooklyn College as a, uh, and got my master's degree in nutrition. And about two weeks after I got my master's degree, I was already teaching as an adjunct hmm. um, at the college, you know, undergraduate wow. courses in nutrition, graduate courses. And it was during that time that I really took an interest in the field of nutritional supplements. Yeah. They don't teach it in school. So you really kind of got to learn it on your own, but you need that foundation of science. You have to understand biology and chemistry, biochemistry, physiology. You have to really understand that to understand nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people now on social media are lost. They're listening to people who have no background in science and they're just focused on what are these people doing in their life? Um, and they're listening to them. But I really took an interest in supplements and I incorporated it into my coursework. So I put it on the syllabus and whatever I was teaching, whether it was medical nutrition therapy or nutrition and disease, geriatric nutrition, pediatric nutrition. I taught a lot of different courses and I always try to weave in dietary supplements. Mm, and back okay. then you're talking about the late nineties, early two thousands. It, it was kind of frowned upon by the department. Um, I kind of got a little flack for it because they weren't believers in it. You ever hear the saying, uh, whatever you're not up on, you're down on. Hmm. So they didn't really understand it. So one of my colleagues said, why don't you do a presentation, just pick a, a, a topic and present to them the science, the research. And I did a whole presentation for about two hours on essential fatty acids and their role in health and disease. I went through the literature and after that, they didn't bother me anymore because mm-hmm. they realized that there was science to a lot of it. Right. And it's right. been like progressive over time um, that I got really into the industry. I worked for a few different supplement companies, uh, manufacturing companies as well. And then I found myself here at the vitamin shop where I'm now the head of scientific and regulatory affairs and I do a lot of different things which make makes the job interesting mm-hmm. you know getting into product formulation claim substantiation marketing as you right, know right. we used to work <laughs> together there yeah, so yeah. It, it really makes it interesting because i get to work with a lot of different um departments across the company and get and get to do a lot of different things but that, yeah. that's kind of the the quick road from from school and interest to where i am today right yeah and that's amazing too because people don't realize when they hear that title for you it's very often you're like a policeman, if you will, in that role, because you have to, when it came to the marketing, you have to be really strict on there's things that people can and cannot say that supplements do, or we can't promise that they they do things in certain aspects. But to your point, it's not junk science. There are actual benefits to things like omega-3 fatty acids, right? And I think that, or um, taking certain supplements that may help for your joints or cholesterol. So I think there's a misconception for people where they think supplements are kind of junk science, but, you know, speak to the, the actual tangible component of how these supplements can help you. Yeah. I mean, I think, as I mentioned before, 
whatever you're not up on, you're down on. A lot of people, mm-hmm. particularly physicians, they don't get any training in nutrition, so they don't understand it. Um, is it also a common misconception that people can get all the nutrients they need through their diet, which is mm-hmm. absurd. I mean, just look around. Nobody's even eating real food anymore. So they're not, it, it, it can't be possible. So supplements are important, but they also can't replace a healthy diet. That's why they're mm. called supplements. They're there to kind of fill in gaps. Right. And there, there's a ton of research on, on nutritional supplements. And mm-hmm. for anyone to say that supplements are a waste of money or they don't work, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're saying vitamin C and vitamin D, which are essential nutrients, don't provide a benefit. You mm. can't survive without them. That's why they're vitamins, right? Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're not nutrients and not always easy to get in your diet, even the most well-intentioned. Maybe you're not eating you know, several servings of fruits and vegetables every day. Maybe you're not getting enough fiber in your diet. So supplements can play an important role. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot of research. And one of my roles, as far as um, claims you mentioned about products, um, at the Vitamin Shop, we pride ourselves on not misleading the consumer. Our health enthusiasts are well-trained. We, we have extensive education where they understand what the products do. They're not there to just push products on people. They're there to, you walk into a vitamin shop and how can we help you? And they ask questions and they educate people so they can make their own decisions on products. What's best yeah. for them? Not, you know, how much am I getting commission on this product? Or mm. that? We don't, we don't work like that. Right. We're more about educating people. So when it comes to making claims for products, um, as you know, um, we, we're very strict about that. We don't yeah. want to mislead the consumer. And the other thing is about the supplement industry. There's a lot of bad apples out there. You know, a lot of the big companies are doing the right thing. The vitamin shops of the world, the GNCs, the Solgars, the Now Foods, they, they do it right. You have to have substantiation for the claims you make. You don't want to mislead consumers into believing that a product can do something that it can't. Mm. Um, but there, there is quite a bit of research. You mentioned omega-3 is just one example when it comes to heart health and brain health. And we, we can spend hours talking about the benefits of certain nutrients and supplements. Right. Um, but but there's... um. We, we pride ourselves on making sure that the claims that we make for products um, can be substantiated. Yeah. No, it's um, it's a real thing when doctors are actually not prescribing them, but doctors are actually advising their patients to take certain supplements. I know for me, I thought, you know, I'm healthy. I go into my Regis, my, my latest uh, checkup and a doctor's like, your vitamin D levels are really low. And I'm like- mm-hmm. I'm like, what does that even mean? He's like, it means you need to take a vitamin D supplement and I want you to take a particular one that has like K, some, you know, vitamin K and D, right. You know, and he explained to me to take it with food because these supplements are actually, um, they metabolize better in the body when you take them with food. And um, he made that part of my actual regimen for my my health and wellness. So uh, I definitely, I think for me being at the vitamin shop at the time that I was there, uh, it was educational for me to learn from people like you that these things- Mm -hmm are actually beneficial. And I'm wondering too, with your background, you know, you've witnessed all the health and wellness things over the years in the, in the landscape. You're, it, it has evolved. Um, you said the, there's a lot of the great companies doing the right thing, but when it comes to the regulatory aspect, how do you think so many of those other companies are getting away with not doing the right thing? I mean, and they're selling yeah, products online and all kinds of foolishness. Yeah, How's that I mean, happening? It's kind of like the FDA is playing whack-a-mole. You know, <laughs> a company pops up under one name, they shut down, and they open up. There's not enough manpower to really go after all these companies. They can invest more money and do it, but it's really hard to shut companies down because they could just reopen somewhere else. And change the that's why or... we try and 
we, we advise people to really look into the companies you're buying products from. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a company that doesn't even have a website, if you can't call and talk to someone live about their product and you could request, you know, test results for certain products if you're interested in that. Um, there, there, there's, there's a lot of bad apples out there. I know mm-hmm. um, Amazon got caught. Um, the FDA had bought, I think, about 90 different products off their website in the category of sexual wellness and men's health. And they found mm-hmm. that a large percentage of them had prescription drugs in there, like mm-hmm. Sildenafil, the active ingredient, oh, right. the actual- and Viagra. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what we're dealing with. So does the FDA have the ability to, to catch all these people? No, it's hard. And that's why people need to go to reputable places to buy. And I'm not saying vitamin shops, the only one we, we don't only sell our brand. We sell tons of different brands. Mm-hmm. GNC, like I mentioned a few, these are the companies that are, they're making sure they're manufacturing facilities, whether it's their own or the ones we contract out or being audited accord. And that the auditor is making sure that they're following what we call good manufacturing practices or GMPs. And there, there are books about everything that's looked at when you do a GMP audit from keeping master manufacturing records, um, the training of employees that are, you know, make that are using the equipment and, and, and making these products, um, cleaning schedules, mm-hmm. um, everything testing when you take raw materials that are going to go into the product, how are they stored? How are they tested? And then, the finished product when it comes out, how is that tested? Then we also do additional testing. We send the finished product out to a third-party laboratory to verify what the manufacturer found. Yeah. So it's all these things that you see inside these manufacturing um, regulatory requirements mm-hmm. that the, the reputable companies are following that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad the, we don't we don't want those bad apples in the industry. It makes the whole industry look bad when something like what I just explained happened at Amazon. Now it's mm-hmm. like. The FDA thinks the whole industry and and mm. is no good and just yeah. that's not true. Like we're, I sit on the uh, membership board for the Natural Products Association, which are um, they're advocates for the dietary supplement industry. And we go to Washington once a year and we talk to lawmakers there, and we're trying to get the FDA to go after those companies that aren't doing the right thing. So it keeps the industry, it, it helps maintain our reputation of doing mm. the right thing by the consumer. Yeah. Consumer safety is number one. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because if if people have one takeaway from this conversation today, it is, you know, when it, especially when it comes to products that you're going to ingest or digest and eat or whatever term you want to use, you have to really do your due diligence and and research those brands as Brian has said because there is a lot of harmful uh, potentially harmful things out there and a lot of people are just you know, seeing their favorite influencer on social media take something and then she has washboard abs. Well, chances are she started with washboard abs before she even took that supplement. So people will believe this stuff. So I'm glad, you know, we're talking about that. Anyone who wants to do the supplement thing, please just research the brand. We we could touch on that social media at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely know. Yeah, because I follow a lot of your posts. Uh, there's like this one vitamin that you posted about. You're like, really? You're going to get all that from those vitamins? <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it was funny, but I don't want to name the brand. I don't want them coming after me. But there was a funny, you know, I think you know who I'm talking about. What the yes. brand. Um, But I do want to talk about something else you mentioned earlier. And you and I used to also have this conversation about the difference in today's youth, physical activity, lack thereof, I should say, versus when you and I were younger. 
or even a generation ago. And I guess, of course, we can also blame the digital age, but parents also have a responsibility in making sure that their children are getting uh, maybe proper exercise and being more active. So speak a little bit to that, because I know that's a passionate place for you to also speak about. Yeah, I would say technology has changed that a lot. Um, if you look now at the obesity epidemic, I mean, it's 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 now we're at about over 40% of the population would fall into that category. Yeah. And if you go back to like the 1960s, it was maybe 10%, you know, and they like to blame, oh, it's genetics. You can't do anything about it from a lifestyle standpoint, which is absurd. I mean, mm. our genes haven't changed much in 50, 60 years, right? Right, right. Um, but our lifestyles certainly have you know, a lot of processed, quick, fast food. And um, phys I think physical activity is probably the most important thing because I remember growing up, you know, we ate candy and, and drank soda here and there, you know. Right. Um, but we were outside for hours playing. Oh, yeah. Burned it off. Now mm -hmm. kids are sitting, laying in their bed, you know, on their phones or their iPad playing video games and they're just eating all that junk food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it kills me to see it, you know, and if you look at, physical fitness in schools. Um, we've, we've gotten really soft on the kids. I remember the gym teacher I had in junior high school would laugh at us if we couldn't do pull-ups and it was just to push us and we were competitive and mm -hmm. ended up benefiting us. Right. It, yeah. It, even though it was, you know, from a social standpoint, it wouldn't be acceptable today, but I'm a big believer in, and Hey, sometimes you got to make people feel uncomfortable, not feel bad or tease them, but sometimes you got to push yeah. Some people need that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's totally gone. And and I think parents a lot of times are not setting an example. You know, I'm, I myself at 55 years old, I do something seven days a week. I mean, I train four days, three days a week. I'm doing jujitsu and I'm very active. My kids see that. Um, if you're sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and your kids come <laughs> home and you tell them, go outside and play, are they going to listen to you? Right, right. If you set the example and go outside with them, that's better. That's different. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I get it. Sometimes, you know, now it's it's hard financially with the economy, two parents working. It's hard to make it on one salary and you're not around and you got, you know, there's mm -hmm. nobody there pushing the kids. But you know what? I, I think most of my friend's mothers were home, but mothers didn't take us out to play. <laughs> Right, right. We just did it, right? Right, yeah. I, I think it's all of, if you look at just society in general, I hate to use the word soft, but I think we'll be, we're becoming a little too soft. I think it's mm -hmm. it's okay to be sensitive about certain things, but I think we've become very soft and, and it's you, you can see the result of that in our kids. You have 12, 13-year-olds with fatty liver disease. I mean, that's unheard of. Mm. It was, you know, even 15, 20 years ago. And that's all diet-related. Um, and they're saying in the next 10 to 15 years, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease might be the number one reason for liver transplants in this country. Hmm. And it's all lifestyle related. These kids are just eating junk food and too much sugar and it's damaging their livers. And, hmm. and you know, you see, you know, obesity in kids, you know, an 11 year old kid that can't really walk up the stairs. It just, it hurts me when I see that so hmm. much because I know that their life going forward is not going to be good. And it's, this is the first generation that there's a good chance they won't outlive their parents. Mm. Can I put part of the blame on the parents? Sure. But I think it's the parents. I think it's our education or, or, you know, kids spend hours a day in school. If they're not pushing, if they're not pushed physically in a gym class because, oh, they don't feel like doing it and you can't force them anymore. Where, where, where is this going to end up? Mm. I mean, it's only going to get worse. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg when mm. it comes to childhood yeah. diseases. You never, you never had, um, type two diabetes when you were a teenager, 
it used to actually be called adult onset diabetes because it's something that happened you oh, know when you got to like your 60s and 70s your, your your body didn't respond to insulin like it did it wasn't able to metabolize sugar like it used to right. so you would get it you would take medication now you have teenagers getting it because they have so much adipose or fat tissue and that it affects insulin function and they're not mm. active um it's it's painful to watch and i, I don't know it's only going to get worse. I mm. hate to say that, but it is. It's a fact. <sighs> well, that's, I mean, that's a little depressing, but hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully though, if anyone's yeah. listening, you know, to this or people who are listening, um, if they know children and they have family members who have children, like this is why we share this information because, you know, this is not a conversation I've really had on this show before, but we really delve into physical health and wellness to this degree. And, um, what you just shared also reminds me of another thing we had, you know, we used to have some great conversations, you and I, this was another one that I used to love that we talked about. And you mentioned you do martial arts and we talked about this sort of like, you just mentioned how kids are kind of getting soft and that's maybe physical and literal, um, that everybody gets a trophy sort of mentality. Right. And I remember you were saying how, I think I forgot the story, but it's almost like, you know, in a karate class or jujitsu class, you know, the, the kids are like practicing on like, 50, 50 inch thick crash mats. And so they're not really getting acclimated to what it feels like if you actually have to utilize jujitsu and you are mm -hmm. hit by an opponent and you hit the ground or the floor, which is not that cushy, cushy mat. Mm -hmm. And so we're almost like programming our kids too in that regard, not to even really um, have the actual response appropriate response for a real life situation because we're coddling and protecting them so much like in real life you don't everyone doesn't get a trophy in real life so yeah. <laughs> so you yeah, I, I always love when you talked about that yeah i think back to when i was younger i did um a, a style of karate called goju karate for many years when i was younger and the schools were totally different back then you know you didn't wear pads on your hands you didn't wear headgear and it was full contact i mean except you wouldn't punch someone in the groin or the throat. Other than that, you're getting hit because the instructor believed that he wanted to simulate what it'd be like in a real street fight. Although it's still, it's, it's not intense. the same because, you know, you don't feel like you're in danger. You know, you get right, hit. Right. It's still but controlled. With jiu it's different. Like you, in jujitsu, yeah, you're, you're hitting a mat, but the mat, believe it or not, is not that, it's not that soft. Like you get thrown around and, and it hurts or you're used to being in certain positions. And I think it's that why people panic when someone grabs them. When you're training that all the time and that actually happens in reality, you mm. won't get nervous. Right. You learn yeah. how to conserve your energy. And while someone's swinging and swinging, now they're exhausted. Now I got you. Now mm -hmm. I take you. Now you're done. Right. Yeah, um, but yeah. I think it's as close as you can get to, to real life. But but you're right, though, between second place trophies and everything just getting soft and us being, you know, wanting to be always politically correct with everything. I think there is a place for that for sure. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of somebody getting teased for being overweight or weak. Um, but why don't we help those people? Why do we just say, you know, it's okay to be, it's not there. There's no scenario where being obese is good. Mm -hmm. Actually, the only thing I can think of is that it, it keeps your bones strong because of the weight bearing on your bones. That's probably <laughs> the only thing. But really? you know, I remember a couple, a couple of years ago, um, you probably remember this, the cover, I think it was Cosmopolitan magazine had a cover of an overweight person, which, you know, that's fine. You're a model and you're doing that. That's what you're doing for a living. Nothing yeah. Wrong with that. I, I think, I think you Ashley should be ridiculed Graham. for that. Yeah. But, but the, but the, the caption said, 
this is health healthy. Mm. And the person was clearly morbidly obese. That really bothered me. It really did because we're we're not really helping people by going easy on them. It's not to say they should be made fun of and teased, but to tell them that it's okay to be that overweight. What do, do we really care about them? Do their family members love them and care about them? If we're just kind of saying, yeah, you're fine, you're okay, until you know it's like you're going along, then all of a sudden you fall off the cliff. Oh, sure, now yeah. You got diabetes, and right? You got arthritis in your knees, and you got, right, right. So. I, I, I think us there's a time and place to be politically correct. I don't think when it, I think when it comes to health, we gotta we gotta be a little bit tougher and mm -hmm. tell people that it's not okay. And again, people should not be treated any differently based on their weight, but that we should be able to be honest and have that conversation. Like we have conversations now about gender with teenage kids. You know, mm -hmm. if, if a teenage boy thinks that he wants to be a girl, why is that conversation okay? But we can't talk about their health. <laughs> you know? right, yeah, I mean, we yeah. could go down that whole road, but yeah, I know that's all right. But, but it's to a me, great I'm focused. Thing, yeah, I'm focused on health, and I think we're 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 not being. Um, it's not fair to these people who really need help for whatever reason, mm -hmm. um, and we're just letting it slide and saying it's okay, and we're seeing the result of that. I mean, in, yeah, in 10, 15 years from now, when 65 70 percent of people are obese and no one can afford health care, and everyone's looking for medications and surgery and it's only going to get worse and then it starts mm -hmm. impacting the economy and we're paying for the people to be to not take care of themselves i think everyone needs to take ownership of their own health mm -hmm. um and we can get into mental health i could talk about that too because i think that's also something that's really important that we kind of you know don't yeah. pay much attention to unfortunately no absolutely i would love to uh, in fact i will transition to that in a moment um i just want to bring up one thing about obesity that I learned, which was really shocking to me. You know, we've always thrown that word around. All of us have heard that word. We've seen what we think obesity is when it's, you know, in our minds, it's this visibly overweight body that is like extremely large and you can say, oh, that person's obese. But I was shocked to learn that, you know, body mass index does not have to be like that extreme to be considered obese. I literally at my weight right now, you know, my doctor was like, Hey, you know, your BMI is like 25, 28, like what you're, you're carrying it. Well, like no one knows that, but internally that's a problem because 30 is obese, you know, and you're like at 28. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> because I mean, I looked in the mirror, I'm like, so I'm obese. And so I, that's why I want people to understand, or, you know, I'm close to being obese. I want people to get that right. That's what we think is the extreme, we a lot of us are not even there yet, and we may be already in obesity and without realizing it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, you can't only look at BMI because you could take two people, right? I'm about six feet and about 195 pounds, maybe I think I have like 15% body fat. Mm -hmm. Or you could take someone who's the same height and weight and has 40% body fat. Okay. So, you know, you can have a pretty similar BMI, but the body fat's different. And right, really, according to the BMI, most NFL football players, especially like defensive backs, wide receivers, would probably be considered obese. So it, it's a starting point, yes. And I think it does apply to most people. Not everyone's a, a high-level athlete. Right. Um, so I think it's a good starting point, but you got to look at everything, right? Mm -hmm. You got to look at people's blood work and their body weight for height and all of that stuff too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but just to look at BMI, it's a marker and it's it is something that people should consider if you're getting up to that 
29 point where the cutoff for obesity is right there, then, yeah, you know, as you get older, it gets harder, you know, as, you know, when you start hitting your thirties, forties, I'm 55 now, you know, lucky I've always kind of maintained a healthy weight, but for those people who are constantly struggling with it and, you know, they, they let it go in the winter to me, it's like, a lot of people think health is seasonal, which I think is absurd. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the whole t- yeah, the the New Year's resolution thing sort of fuels <laughs> fuels that. Although Brian, I will say that's why I really thought you know you and I had to reschedule this a few times. And I thought, well, you know, this is a good time to have it because yeah. it's it's going to be at the start of the year when we actually uh, publish the 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 episode and people. A lot of people do look at the first of the year to try to get back on track for whatever reason the resolution thing, um, and it's you know. They sometimes you set yourself up to fail if you just do a seasonal thing, but I think people really want to try to use that as a clean slate at the start of the year and you know and and, and try at least. So in that regard, I, I support it. I think I think people see health as a destination, not a journey. I mean, mm. it's a lifelong thing. It's not a diet that you go on and come off of. It's not I'm going to try to be a vegan or I'm going to yeah, try to yeah. do the keto diet. You got to mm-hmm. do something that we can get into diets later. Um, you got to do something that you can do long term. And does that mean you have to be in the gym seven days a week, two hours a day? No. Find an activity that you enjoy that you're going to look forward to doing um, and be consistent with it. It's all about consistency, discipline. It's not about being perfect. You know, people like to go, you know, Friday night, I'm going to go have a cheeseburger or whatever. And then I'm going to drink. Might as well do it Saturday, too, since yeah. I blue Friday. They oh. think they have, if they're not perfect. It, it's not sustainable and that's so far from the truth and mm-hmm. that never works. Um, I think you got to allow for a little bit of enjoyment. Like if it's, if things are too restrictive, um, they don't work. And yeah, that's yeah. what happens usually at the beginning of the year. People like joining the gym. That's it. I'm mm-hmm. going to go five days a week. I'm not going to eat any fast food anymore. If they drink soda, I'm not drinking soda anymore. And by like January 18th, that's done because <laughs> they, they wanted to do too much too fast and said, yeah. you know what, by the end of the year, I'm going to be drinking more water. Mm. Maybe I still have soda once in a while. I'm going to maybe have fast food on a Friday or Saturday. I'm not pushing to, for anyone to eat fast food ever, but <laughs> right. for someone who normally does, yeah. you say that you're never going to eat it again. You could, you could actually be healthy if most of the time you're eating real food and, you know, on a weekend you want to. Go get a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Not going to yeah. kill you. Not the yeah, best thing yeah. to eat, but right. it's all about not res- not being too restrictive. Moderation, enjoying yourself. And I think, like for me, when the holidays come around, you know, the holidays are not two months, right? It's people like to see it as, oh, the holidays are coming. But if you think about it, it's like, was it three or four days? Maybe, maybe that are the actual <laughs> holidays. Yeah, and it's yeah. okay to have cake and and maybe have some wine or go out to dinner with your friends and. It can't be like starting like November 1st all the way to New Year that you're just going to go off the rails for two months. <laughs> Which is what most it's, of us um, do. Yeah, most of us do yeah, that. People I mean, set, themselves, set themselves up for failure. They, they mm-hmm. try to do, they try to make too many changes too fast. Um, and you know what happens there. Yeah. That's why the whole New Year's resolution thing is looked at as a joke. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, I, you know, I, I, for me personally, I'm not looking at it that way for the first time. I'm just like, you know, like you just said, end goal. I'm going to try and just make sure that, you know, I just, just do better every day, one day at a time. And luckily I'm not a fast food person so much Um, that helps, but I do like good food and I eat a lot of it and too much sometimes (laughs) in one sitting. So I think that's what I'm working on portion control. I bought a scale 
and I researched what is a good sort of like normal portion of meat in one sitting, how many mm -hmm. ounces. And I can attest that I've been eating probably five or six times the recommended allowance of meat. You know, people can sit down and eat like a 32 ounce steak when the recommendation is like maybe three to six ounces for one meal, right? So the education is really important. So I really, I really do love that part of it. And um, to tap onto two other points, um, we did just mention the mental health component. So I do want to ask you about that because I know there is a correlation and, and you speak about that in your work too. So mental health as a crucial aspect of overall well-being, how do you see nutrition playing a role in mental health? You know, what kind of advice would you say you could give to those who are looking for improving their mental wellness through nutrition? What's that correlation? Yeah. Um, and I want to say that I, I speak on this subject because it affects me personally. I'm not just speaking as a nutritionist. Um mm. I've struggled myself with depression and anxiety since I didn't know what it was when I was younger. And I'm looking at everybody else having a jolly old time. And I'm like, I, I don't know what it felt like to be right. like really happy. And still, I struggle with that. Um, but over the years, you know, I thought about what makes me feel good. And it was always being active and running around. You know, I yeah. didn't really get the connection between nutrition and mental health for a long time until I really studied it, nutrients mm -hmm. and how they affect the body and how B vitamins affect brain function and magnesium and things like that give you energy in the body. Um, right. I didn't understand that connection, but I, I always struggled with it. Um, and then I find that nutrition is so important. I mean, there's no question that what you eat affects how you feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one could deny that if you're eating healthy, you feel better. You have more energy. You don't get those, right. you know, you know, peaks and valleys in your blood sugar your body's you're not sitting there after a large meal and just completely exhausted because your body's using up so much energy to digest all that food and usually not good food either. Mm -hmm. um, and also if you're eating a lot of processed food, you're not getting the nutrients you need. Um, so your brain can't, your body just can't function. It's like, you know, I, I've seen people take better care of their cars than themselves. Hmm. It's just, yeah. I don't yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um, but there's a definite connection between your diet um, and how you feel. Um, and exercise, I would probably say, I would say they're both up there, maybe one and two. And sometimes exercise has been shown to be even more important for mental mm -hmm. health. They just, they published a study, I think it was out of Australia. They looked at a hundred thousand people and found mm -hmm. that exercise was one and a half times more effective than therapy and medication for depression. Mm. That's, that's huge. Yeah, How many yeah. doctors are recommending exercise to people when yeah. they come to them? Yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> depressed and you know, yeah. moving your body, your body is designed mm. to move. And I think people, people think how they feel is normal. You know, I'm not talking about depressed. I just mean in general, I'm not saying if you've been diagnosed with depression and, you know, my heart goes out to people like that. I, I know what that feels like where you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And sometimes it doesn't end well. Right. Um, and I don't think enough people, uh, particularly men, reach out and get help. For me, medication, you know, years ago I tried it. Therapy didn't work for me. Like, they go and talk about your childhood. Like, I know where my issues came from. My mother struggled very badly with mental health. Um, we're talking, you know, institutionalized um, shock treatment. It was bad. Hmm. So I, I know where it came from. For me to go back and say, oh, I got to figure this out. No, right. I got to deal with it. And I think, you know, taking ownership of that, not depending on medications and doctors to make you healthy in any aspect, mm -hmm. especially mental health. Some people may benefit from talking to someone. I didn't. That doesn't mean I don't believe in it. I think there's a 
there's a place for medication, there's a place for therapy. But if you're not eating well and you're not exercising, no amount of medication and therapy is going to help you. That's got to be the foundation. And then you build on that. Mm. I mean, physical activity. Whoever feels bad after they move and exercise. Yeah. I always no, tell people. It's true. Yeah, I tell people, I'm like, do me a favor. Try this for a month. Go out <laughs> for a 30-minute walk every day and tell me how you feel. If you don't feel better, I'll buy you dinner. Mm. I have yet to come to someone come to me and say, you know, I feel terrible since I've been moving. <laughs> it, <laughs> right, it doesn't right. happen, but it's like, can you commit to it? Because if you can, you will reap the benefits of it for a mm -hmm. long time to come. And look, I get it. Some people feel like I don't have the energy to do it, but sometimes you just got to push yourself. And, you know, the words that you tell yourself, you sit around saying, I'm depressed and woe is me and poor me. And I feel bad for myself. And or you surround yourself with people who are, hey, you want to go to happy hour or hmm. they're constantly criticizing you and putting you down and they're not encouraging. Maybe you need new friends. I mean, you get yourself in the gym, get new friends to push you a little bit. Maybe you got someone who you work out with. You know, you, you found a, a, a buddy who you can go to the gym with or, yeah. hey, let's yeah. go shopping, buy some healthy food. Let's try some recipes. And it, it's hard to be surround yourself with negative people and be positive yourself. And mm -hmm. if you are yeah. someone who struggles with mental health issues, you'll never come out of, you'll never get better by doing mm -hmm. that. It's just, yeah. it's not going to work. And I hate to say, you know, get rid of all your friends and, you know, family members who, who are negative and pessimistic, but it's dragging you down. And, you know, I know from experience, once I limit my contact with people like that and I'm around, you know, now I train, I train with younger people who are energetic and, they push you, you know, I don't want to be hanging around with people my age who are just like complaining <laughs> about, oh, I got to go to the doctor for this. And you know, they're talking about retiring and all these things that just, they don't make me feel good. I don't want to be around that. Right. 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 But, but I think that the words you tell yourself, the people you're, you surround yourself with 100% what you eat, being active are all things that can absolutely have a tremendous impact on mental health. The data is out there. Um, there's plenty of studies that show that I just gave one example, mm -hmm. which was a massive study. And for yeah. it to show that exercise is, is almost twice as good as medication and therapy. Mm. Why aren't we talking about it more? Because there's no money in it. Yeah. Well, unless you <laughs> own a gym. Unfortunately. I mean, <laughs> unless yeah, you're right. planet, but, but planet no doctor is going to tell you if yeah. you go to the doctor and you're feeling depressed and you don't leave with the medication or he doesn't recommend the therapist to you, right. he tells you, Hey, you should probably start exercising every day. You're going to be like, what? Yeah. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, most people would, right? Yeah. That's yeah. That's their response. Yeah. But I, I could tell you to all the people listening to this and you struggle a little bit with, with depression, anxiety, start moving. Number one, start eating clean. Stop the junk food. Not, not again, gradually make some changes, but um, you'll find that it really helps. And, and it can even be done in conjunction with the medication and therapy. Mm. And you'll find that it actually, um, improves the benefit of those two things. And this is really wonderful information. I'm really excited to share all this with our audience. Again, we have not had a really in-depth conversation about nutrition because it's one of those areas where I don't want to have that conversation with, uh, I think we had a couple really renowned doctors on, but we didn't get into the weeds. I don't feel comfortable with that conversation unless I know it's someone who is genuine and who has public health and safety in their best interest. And that is why I uh, have been asking you to forever <laughs> to join me on the podcast today. And I'm so happy you did. Brian Tanzer, Director of Scientific and Regulatory at The Vitamin Shop. Thanks for being here today with me on Motivational Mondays. Thanks for having me, Corey. Always a pleasure to see you. 
Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.